0: Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we thank you for your word today, and God, we come to you as we open it and we ask Holy Spirit that you would show us the truth. We know that you um, lead us into all truth and we pray that you would do that today. Convict our hearts, encourage our hearts, strengthen us to walk in a way that honors you. And Lord, I pray for all of my friends that join me online today. I pray in Jesus' name that you would bless them, strengthen them, help us, God, to walk with you intimately help us to walk with you in a way that reflects you to a world that has yet to know you or those that have walked away from you, we ask, Lord, that we would be a light in a dark place. And so, God, use this time for your glorious purposes, not, for, not only for us to know more, but for us to live out the life of Jesus Christ in our world. we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hey, today we're looking at Deuteronomy 23, Deuteronomy 24, we're looking at Psalm 91, we're looking at Mark 13, we're looking at Galatians 1. I'm just going to be straight up with you. There's no way that I'll be able to cover all that. And part of it is because I don't want to just read it to you and then make an observation that you yourself could already make. What I want to do is just share with you some insights that I you know, th- thought of or observations that I made maybe you made them as well, but they could further us in the reading of God's Word and really meditating upon God's Word. And so um, I just want to share with you right out of Deuteronomy chapter 23. We'll start there and some observations that I made in just really the first few verses. We're going to go ahead and look at some of the harder ones uh, that we don't like to answer all the time, because I think it's really important for uh, for us to have context when we're reading, especially the Old Testament, knowing that there is an Old Covenant. And for those of us that follow Christ today, we realize that we live in the New Covenant, but it's built upon the Old. And so understanding the Old Covenant, understanding the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, it's just essential as far as I'm concerned. And the longer I'm a Christian, the more important the first five books and really just the entire Old Testament become for my faith. And so here's what it says in Deuteronomy 23, verse one. He says, no one who is emasculated or has, uh, has his male organ cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. We're talking about eunuchs right there. No one of illegitimate birth shall enter the assembly of the Lord Um, None of his descendants, even to the 10th generations, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite, no Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord, none of their descendants, even to the 10th generation. Now some translations will say instead of 10th generation, they'll say this is almost like continual or perpetual. Um, Sometimes the terminology of the 10th generation was not about counting 10 generations down and, and then all of a sudden the floodgates open and it became acceptable, this was actually a statement about who was and was not permitted into the assembly of the Lord. When you see three generations, there's something specific, which I'll talk about today, about three generations. But when you see 10, it's almost interchangeable that whoever it is that's being referenced is not permitted at all or will not be. And um, and that's just something you need to know when, when numbers were referenced. Um, and that's, that's not always the case, but it, it, it certainly is here. Uh, because they did not meet with you, this is, the, uh, this is what he says in, in explanation of the Moabites and the Ammonites. Because they did not meet with you uh, with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor with, uh, from Pithor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. You might remember that story. And nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Verse six, you shall never seek their peace or their prosperity all of your days. You shall not detest an Edomite for he is your brother. You shall not uh, detest an Egyptian because you were an alien in their land. The sons of the third generation who are born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. Now real quickly, quickly, the assembly of the Lord, we're talking about the gathered community worshiping together, okay? We're not just talking about being a people. We're talking about the worshiping community. It'd be similar to talk, uh, to use uh, maybe the language that we have today. The assembly of the Lord would be the church gathered today. And so this is what he's he's talking about. Uh, verse t- uh, 9 when you go out as an army against your enemies, you shall keep yourself from every evil thing. If there is among you any man who is unclean because of nocturnal emission, then he must go outside the camp. He may not re-enter the camp, but it shall be when evening approaches he shall bathe himself with water, and at sundown he may re-enter the camp. You shall also have a place outside the camp and go out there, and you shall have a spade among your tools, and it shall be when you sit down outside you shall dig with it, and you shall turn to cover over, you know, when you go to the bathroom. I mean, he goes goes on and on, and and I just wanted to share with you some thoughts that I think frame up what we're reading, because I think sometimes, especially um, when we haven't learned the the framework, the context for all of these, what seem to be kind of, to us, very strange comments, is that, again, the people of God they are being instructed by Moses. The Lord is instructing Moses. Moses is, is instructing the people. This is his final dissertation because he's not going into the promised land. They're going to go and they're going to have about 50 war campaigns to dispossess the people that are in the land of Canaan. All right. So you can imagine like he's preparing them mentally. He's preparing them spiritually. But he, but here's the thing that he's also doing. He's helping them to set up society. Now, They came out of Egypt, and they had a certain way of living life, and they lived life under Pharaoh and under Pharaoh's regime. They knew how to be under something, but they did not know how to actually establish their own society, and so God is separating them from thinking that they had. The only thinking that they had, 400 years of it, all right, we're talking about this is generationally compounded on the way that they think thus the way that they live. And so a lot of Deuteronomy is devoted in Exodus as well. These laws are establishing not only their spiritual posture before God, which is obviously true, but it's establishing a lot of societal guidelines. They did not understand how to have society. And so we read this and we're kind of thinking like some of this stuff just sounds really weird. Well, it's weird when you don't think about the context God is holy, and he was helping his people to set up a society where they too were set apart, not just to see who could and could be in the holy camp. Israel was set apart unto God for his purposes. They were to establish the law. They were to establish the sacrificial system. They were to build the temple. They had already been carrying the tabernacle um, in the wilderness. All of these things Not only were what God wanted to establish, but they were foreshadowing that which was to come as well, which we are a part of in the new covenant. These things are so vital, but here we have like societal issues, societal um, regulations, as it were. I wanna just remind you in Deuteronomy 22, the previous chapter, Moses dealt with the sanctification of the home and also of marriage. Now we didn't talk about that very much yesterday because I just uh, highlighted Deuteronomy 21, but he talks about what is and is not acceptable in marriage and in the marriage bedroom. He brings um, sanctification, a holiness to marriage, understanding that we are a holy people. God created us, he designed us in a certain way And so there are things that are not in keeping with God's design. Now, if God made us, then he has obviously the right to instruct our frame, instruct our way, how we live life. Here is this moment where he's helping them to establish society. In particular, he's wanting them to understand that they are a holy people with a holy purpose because they're following a holy God. The assembly of the Lord, as I referred to, was the gathered people in their worship community. He's giving them an understanding of certain rights that they have as citizens. Um, There were exclusions with those. There were certain privileges. There were specific jobs. There were also limitations. All of these things that we're reading about that may seem disconnected are actually very connected to the type of way that God wanted his people to live. And I think even if we get uh, lost in these passages, we can come back and kind of understand um, some of it. And I would also like to say that it's very clear that God brings about an understanding of consequence. Now in an age of grace or in a time of grace where we have received the Lord Jesus Christ and he's forgiven us of all of our sin, we have to appreciate and understand what that's built upon. And part of it is just to under is just to see what really is being said here. Now the first verse in Deuteronomy 23, Moses says basically that eunuchs, those that have been emasculated are not to enter the community the worshiped community the worshipping community the congregation of the of the lord the assembly of the lord and why why is that well eunuchs uh, were not born that way almost entirely they were made that way and there's a couple reasons some it was a self-mutilation and this was detestable to god that somebody would actually mutilate themselves and so this was this was the consequence of that that you were not to gather in the assembly of the Lord. Others were prisoners of war. And this, this meant that they had come through war and they had been punished or the consequence that they had as a result of that was, um, was becoming a eunuch. Now this would happen from other nations. This was not something that God ever instituted for Israel to, to do or to punish somebody with. And so we have prisoners of war, we have foreigners that were caught in the act of adultery or sodomy. Um, people from other nations, when they were caught in sex, certain sexual practices that violated their own rules, that's literally what they would do. Now, again, God never instructed Israel to do this. And so we're still talking about foreigners here. We're not talking about Israelites. And so God is giving some very clear stipulations which carry consequences. Those who are of uh, in, in this particular category are not to enter the worshiping community. Verse two he disallows the descendants of a forbidden marriage to the 10th generation which is perpetual practically speaking to enter the assembly of the lord why because this was a reproach on israel this was a consequence of that forbidden marriage and there was the reason again like one of the things that you have to talk about when you think about forbidden marriages or intermarrying it's there's no racism in god okay racism is evil um intermarrying today there's nothing wrong with that the reason that God did not have his people intermarry were a couple reasons. And this is specific obviously to those generations. Number one is they were establishing society. God did not want them to enter into idolatry. And so when people had in their own society, in their own religion, in their own framework with their own gods, if a man were to marry a woman, he would usually take on the gods of his wife. And we see that actually in Solomon. Solomon was specifically commanded not to intermarry with any other woman of any other nation. And he does. And one of the first verses where it talks about him coming into his kingdom, what we read about is his heart. His heart was led astray because he married one of the princesses of Egypt. And so there's nothing wrong with, you know, people of different cultures of different nations or or whatever, this is not about racism. This was specifically about worship. And as God was establishing his community, again, a new society, he was saying that there are things that you cannot do. One of them was because hearts would be led astray into idolatry. In fact, there are many examples of that happening. Solomon is just one of them. You can look at King Ahab, the king of Israel. He married Jezebel. Jezebel actually ruled the kingdom through Ahab. That's another great example. There are many others like it. And so God is saying, I do not want you to intermarry because of what will happen as a result of that, not because people in and of themselves are despicable or despised, but when somebody is under that type of thinking and when somebody worships another God, you will take that God on yourselves. Now think about that today. We, we no longer live in in a, in a sense under under that type of of mandate, so to speak. We intermarry. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about nationality. But here's the deal: Do you think that we should marry someone that is of another religion? Should a Christian, a Christ follower, a follower of Jesus, marry someone that is a Muslim? Marry somebody that's a Buddhist? Ethnicity aside, doesn't matter what nationality you're from doesn't matter your ethnicity. But should they? No, we actually teach people that the two who are not agreed cannot walk together. You absolutely cannot. When you marry someone who is not a Christian and you are a professing Christ follower, is that going to divide your home? Yes. Is it going to affect how you raise your kids? Yes. This principle that we read about in the Old Testament, sometimes the way people talk about God's Mandates that he had for Israel is almost like God's racist or that they don't understand it and it condones these things. People just don't, they're not thinking about what it would be like to establish a society. And so God is setting his people apart first to worship him and to worship him alone. Second, God is also setting his people apart because they are literally carrying and preserving the messianic line. Jesus was born into a Jewish family, he was a Jew. He came to the house of Israel. And we know that scripture says, although he came to the house of Israel, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But for those who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Now, Jesus came as a Jew. He came of the house of Israel. And Israel's, part of their purpose was to preserve the messianic line. Why? To fulfill all of the prophecies about the coming of Christ. I mean there were very specific prophecies and God's hand, his sovereign hand was upon the nation of Israel to specifically and I would I would even say severely guide them along their way in order to preserve the messianic line and to accomplish what he set out to do in Jesus so that the entire world would have an opportunity to come back into relationship. Israel was a holy people and they carried a holy purpose. And when we read Deuteronomy, we have to understand that much of what God is saying through Moses to his people was to help them establish society, that their purpose was to be a holy people, that they were set apart, carrying something that they could not fully conceive. They could not fully comprehend and understand. And these stipulations, so to speak, were to help preserve the kind of people that would actually carry out this purpose. Now, we know none of them were perfect, but they have, Israel has a purpose before God. And even today, God's not finished with his first friends his first covenant friends, God is not done with what he is doing in and among them. And so we pray for Israel, we bless Israel. We don't feel that if you're a Gentile, you're not less than than those that are, that are Jewish, those that are of the nation of Israel. We're not less than them, we're grafted into the tree if we're in Christ. All together, we are one family. But the reality is is that God's not finished, and I think it's very important for us to to understand um, some of the things that that Moses was saying um, as God's servant and as God's mouthpiece to help s- establish society amen so there's there's a I know there's some comments that are that are going up here I, I want to read uh, one more passage that I think is super important this actually relates to my understanding of, of what we might call benevolence, and I see Pastor Bob Holden is on here, and so maybe you'll glean something from this, Pastor Bob. Um, my understanding of benevolence or charity or giving comes from this passage, but not only this passage. There's an entire perspective of of giving. There's an entire perspective of taking care of people, providing for people that goes from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I think a lot of people are confused about this I've taught this before, but I, I wanna show you it comes right out of the Torah and it goes right into the New Testament. And, he, and I wanna read it to you right here. We're looking in verse 24 of Deuteronomy 23. Now listen to this, okay? When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you just say you're, you're taking a walk, you're going from one place to another, and, you, and, and a lot of times you'd walk through the fields. They didn't always have roads. Then you may eat grapes until you are fully satisfied. You, you can have a meal. But you shall not put any in your basket. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand. You can eat some along the way. There's actually disciples did that later in the Gospels. But you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute because this isn't the only place that the Old Testament says this. Essentially, God told Moses to tell the Israelites that when you're walking from where you are to where you're going, maybe you're on your way home, maybe you're on your way to a neighbor's house, if you're hungry and you're by a vineyard and you see grapes, you can have some. Or if you're in a, a wheat field, you can pluck some of the grain and you can eat that. But you cannot put any in your bag. You cannot wield a sickle. You cannot take that home with you. This is not for you to do. You cannot use it to provide a meal for your family all right, so this is really important when we think about giving, when we think about generosity, because there was some, again, God is establishing a new society for a people that he would be king of. Now that, if as you follow this, the daily word, you're, we're gonna get to a place where Israel wanted a king and they actually rejected what Samuel proposed, which was God being their king. And so they ended up getting a king, King Saul, and thus started the line of kings among Israel and Judah. But here's the deal God is establishing Himself as king in the society that revolves around Him. And one of the things that He did not want was that people would be able to go into someone else's field and someone else's vineyard, which they worked for, which they owned. It was their blood, sweat, and tears, their labor. You walk into all that they did and you take, you extract from that. God was not okay with that. And here's what it says in the New Testament. I was just writing some verses that came to my mind today. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. This, this is my, what follows my understanding of benevolence, charity, and giving. The Apostle Paul says, if you do not work, you do not eat. He says, the Apostle Paul says also to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.8, 5, 5, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now here's the deal, I'm not gonna get into capitalism and uh, socialism, but there are things that God said specifically in his word that are to be a part of the society in which he's created us. God has created us to be productive, God has created us to be providers, those that are able-bodied. Now those that are not able-bodied, there are other scriptures, like there are scriptures that tell us what to do with those who are blind, those that are lame, those that are widows, we are to take care of specific types, specific categories of people among our community. We take care of them, we help them, we bless them, we provide for them. We take them on, they're not a burden to us, they are our family, we take them on. They are not able to provide for themselves. But those among us that are able to provide for themselves, if you do not work, you do not eat. Why? It enables a mindset of entitlement and it causes us to not be productive. In other words, we will literally spend our time doing other things. And what does that do when you have idle time, when your mind is in an idle place? Now, some of you right now, if you're on unemployment, I realize we're in a society far removed from what God set out for Israel. But again, our way of doing society is not necessarily God's way. I I could, uh, I'm, I'm gonna get controversial here, but I could make a case, I could make a case for God never establishing a monetary system, I, I, I could make that case actually from the Bible and and I would say to you, when we go back into our heavenly home, when when you and I are reunited with the Lord, I wonder how it will really work. I mean, some would say a barter system i, I don't I don't know, but but I would say that the way that that all the arguments that we have, socialism, capitalism, all this kind of stuff the way that we argue these type of things today are based on a system that God didn't even set up. And so for me, sometimes I'm, I'm rather quiet because I do believe that, that my source is ultimately the Lord, but God has spoken to me and us in his word that we are to work with our own hands, that we are to provide able-bodied people. And unproductive people become idle in their mind, become focused on other things, distracted by other things, and you give your heart and your mind to other things rather than taking care of your own needs and then caring for others. I believe the blessing of God rests on us when we simply follow those types of instructions. Honestly, if we work hard to provide for our own needs and then we also abound where God blesses us and we can care for others, which is what the scripture says again and again and again. Stewardship first starts with our own life. We take care of the needs that we have. It extends, therefore, to those around us where that we actually have good stewardship in our own life, we practice the principles of of just taking care of our own needs according to the work of our own hands. And then God is the one who causes us to abound. Why? So that we can take care of other people. It, it moves from our family to friends, to others, to community and beyond. and. And I believe that it is the Lord's, that God does want to continue to bless us. But he, I believe that some people, you know, they look blessed materially or financially, and that's not the Lord. And it, it really is revealed by the focus and the priorities of their life, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be, take, be added to you. Sometimes we, people will seek first all of these other things and they might have a lot of wealth but that wealth will just it will just rot it will go to all kinds of other things and not take care of people. But I just think this passage is really interesting to me and the and the reason that I do is because we live in a world that is quite often so different from the established society that God was giving to Israel. And when I look back and then I obviously read the new new testament and I understand the posture and the position that we that we are to have we can glean from the Torah in this, is that God actually wants us to rid ourselves of laziness, that we cannot benefit or prosper off another person's labor and another person's land. And wherever that is the case, honestly, we need repentance in our lives. We need to be a people that are repented before God and responsible with the hands and the feet that he's given to us. Now, if you find yourself in a category of people where you're disabled, or you're, a, or, you're a widower, or you're widower, or you're widow, or you're not able-bodied, or you're not like you once were. Listen, don't feel bad. The reality is, we're a family. We take care of one another. We love one another. We're for one another. We're in this together. Truly, absolutely. This, this is this is God's way of, of using us to meet the needs of one another. But if that's not where we are, honestly, one of the best things that I could say to us today is that we need to live a life of repentance that it is not okay for us just to have our source in any other place or person than God. And he gives us hands and feet, he gives us a brain, he gives us ability, and we need to use that ability to the best of our, to, to the be, in the best way that we can. Now, if you've lost your job, you're on unemployment, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that ultimately, that craving inside of us to not be idle, which by the way, can lead us down wrong paths, and it does. Is from God to be productive, right? And I think we want to instruct our kids in that same way that we, we want to work, we want to produce, we want to provide, we want to abound so that we can take care of others. And I, and I believe that we can, and I believe that we will. And it's a shining light to a society that, that is filled with entitlement, that is filled with, you know, the government owes me. You know, I don't have any of that mindset at all. In fact, I'd rather just give my stimulus packages away, you know, unless I absolutely needed it. I I don't rely on the government. And I think sometimes, like, even in the moment that we're in right now, we realize where we do rely on other sources. We rely on other people. We get mad. We get angry. We get moody based on what this system or this organization or this leader does or doesn't do. And listen, I'm not trying to be a pacifist in any way, shape, or form. I certainly want to give my viewpoints, my opinions. But ultimately, like my source, my provider is God. And I believe that with all of my heart. And so the president may make the right decision, may not. Congress may vote the right package in, they may not. We, we, we're probably going to be in debt for as long as my lifetime is or more. I'm not down. You know, my, my provider is God. And, and that's the same for you, that's the same for us. I'm not trying to glean from someone else's field. I believe that God can, whatever I gotta do, you know, humble myself in whatever way that I need to work and put my hands and feet to use, I will do it. And that's the disposition of our hearts and our lives. I don't wanna glean from another person's field. And whatever that means today, I don't know what the parallel is today, but I think the conviction is certain. The conviction is, is that God has given us, um, the majority of us, what we, can, uh, what we need to produce and to provide. And that's in our hearts, and I just wanna bring light and attention um, to that. I don't want to, um, I don't want us to be or behave like those that treat their source as uh, is, is some, is some other person or some other place. That's not us, that's not the people of God. And so anyways, as I was reading this, I have a whole, uh, when as the church, sometimes people will say, well, the church is supposed to, people will walk into the church and they just want us to give them money, and, they, and then when we don't, they get mad at us. Um, but as pastor bob holden who's on here knows you you cannot you you cannot have an, a, another source for your livelihood you can have another source for your meal you know what i'm saying you can have another source for you can glean the field you can you can eat from the field for your lunch or your dinner but you you you, you can't take you can't and you're not entitled to anything else from anybody else when we look up to god we realize what he's put inside of us what he's given to us and we work hard with everything that we got, and God will take care of us. He will always take care of us. Moments like these that we're in right now with the shutdown, economic shutdown, there's a lot of fear, and I would tell you this, people of God, if you follow Jesus, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You lost your job, don't be afraid. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. And I said this before, but I'll say it again. When you pray to God, give us today our daily bread, that bread may come from another bakery, because you might have lost your job, you might have lost your business, your revenue, you might you might have lost something, your bread might have to come from another bakery, I'll tell you what, but the, the one who owns it all is, is still in charge, he's still providing. Just because we lost the means of provision in our life does not mean that we lost the provider in our life. And so let's not trust in anything else or anybody else. We use our hands, we use our brain, we use our feet, we go to work, we do the best we can. If we get unemployment for a season, that's great, But the reality is, is that we look unto God today and we thank him that he's the one that takes care of us and we put our lives to use and ultimately tell him, God, whatever you want us to do, may you give us fields, vineyards, businesses, jobs, whatever, so that we can abound. And as we abound, Lord, we will give it away. We will take care of the widows and the widowers in our community. We'll take care of the disabled. We'll take care of the people that cannot do for themselves. We'll take care of the foster kids, amen? We'll take care of the foster kids, modern day orphans in our world. We'll take care of those that are in our view that you put across our path for your great name's sake. And we will not be those that are looking out for self-preservation. And I know I'm just saying a lot from this verse, but this verse is just so important in a world or a society that just doesn't look like what God was telling Israel to establish. And I think it's vital and I think we need to be reminded just simply that God is our source and God is our provider. All of that I got from, yep, that's right, all that I got from Deuteronomy at 23. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.